Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19 says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning that you've given us to come and to worship in your house and to spend time with each other, um, declaring that you are sovereign over all things, over every moment of our lives, of every step that we take. God, you um, know them all, and you're working in each and every one of them. God, we pray that you would increase our faith in you and the promises that you have given to us. God, promises that are eternal and beyond the daily workings of our lives. God, thank you for the story of Abraham's faith. And God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be leading me as we walk through this passage. May you be honored by the preaching of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been a substitute? Anybody ever been a sub? Sub, sub, yep. I was a sub in uh, junior high basketball, yep, B team. So B team meant I got to, got to start when we went to play, uh, you know, the other B teams of the, of, the, of the league. But thankfully, I was B team enough that I got to go to some A team games and, and, and be the sub, right? And uh, the sub is the one that pretty much comes in when, uh, when everything's over and settled, Either you're winning the game entirely uh, and it's over, or, uh, or you're losing the game and the coach says, hey, you know, throw Farrell in there, get him, a, get him a few minutes, make him feel good about himself. We're down 20, but it doesn't matter. We're good. Um, typically, the sub is not the ideal situation, right? It's not the, and it's not the perfect situation for whatever you're looking at, right, in, in teaching, right? The, the optimal person to teach a class uh, is the teacher that was designated for that class. And that, that teacher knows their children well. And the sub just comes in for a day, you know, and gets their paycheck, makes sure no one kills anyone, you know, turns on a movie maybe, you know, just make sure that, that everyone survives, right? The sub is not typically the ideal situation. Um, you also find substitutes in, in recipes. You bakers out there, if you're missing something, there's, there's ways to get around things that you're missing, right? Does anybody have offhand? I mean, I've got some because I did some minimal prep on this. Um, but any, any bakers out there have a traditional substitute that you can throw in when you're missing an ingredient? Anyone? What's that? Bananas for sugar. Bananas for sugar. All right. That's good. Milk and vinegar for buttermilk. Yep. Milk and vinegar for buttermilk. Yep. All right. Other, other, take, other takers, all right? You got, uh, according to this, and I don't know if any of you have tried these, uh, if, you're, if you don't have a teaspoon of baking powder, you know what you can do? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, uh, one quarter teaspoon of baking soda with half a teaspoon of cream of tartar. Okay, so that'll get you to the uh, baking, baking powder. If you're missing the tartar, 
Okay? One teaspoon of tartar, you know what you can make that with? Anybody? Sub for tartar? All right. Two tablespoons of vinegar or some lemon juice. So if you need the tartar to substitute for your baking powder, you just take, what, two teaspoons of vinegar, add it to a quarter of baking soda, and then you get uh, baking powder? Is that probably how it works, right? Probably not. It's baking. It's a little more scientific than that. But we see substitutes all the time. And, and the situation is they're not typically ideal. Typically, the substitute is not the one you want in there playing the game. Um, if there's anything that you take from our time today uh, in the Word, I want you to take this. There's one substitute that was the best substitute that, that ever lived, right? Uh, there's a lot that can be said about this passage, and we'll look at some of it, but the one thing I know we need to hear from this is this, that Jesus has become a substitute on our behalf. And he's substituted for us better than we ever could. He's the best substitute there ever. He turns the definition of substitute upside down. Typically, in all these examples, a substitute is not the ideal situation. But in our situation, a substitute is exactly, exactly what we've needed. We've been looking at chapter 11 of Hebrews, and we've been seeing that uh, just this multifaceted view of what faith is, right? We, we were given the initial definition from the beginning of the passage in verses 1 to 2. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of that which is not seen. And so as we've gone through example by example in chapter 11, we've seen little facets of, of what that means. That, that statement alone is, uh, is deep. The assurance of things hoped for. How can you be sure of something you're hoping for? The Bible says that's what faith is, being sure of something you are hoping for. Chapter 11 has given us beautiful examples of that time after time. First, we started with creation. We saw that a faith is the belief that God made everything out of nothing. We saw with Abel that faith is the belief that God deserves our first and our best. We saw with Enoch that faith is the belief that God exists and that he rewards. We saw with Noah that faith is the belief that God is speaking to you and he is speaking through you. We saw with the first section on Abraham that faith is the belief that God knows the end from the beginning. And finally, last week we saw that faith is the belief that God is faithful to keep his promises. Today we're going to look at Abraham's faith in relation to his interaction with his son Isaac. Right at the center of, uh, of chapter 11 is Abraham. There are three examples that are tied to Abraham. Abraham is a picture of faith to us in multiple ways. Did he get it right every time? He didn't. But he's an example of faith to us because he continues to turn back to the Lord and place his faith in the one who has been faithful to his promises time after time after time. Today in our passage, again, we see this statement, verse 17 by faith, Abraham was tested 
when he was tested and offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. We're going to look at chapter 22 of Genesis and, and uh, read through the passage and see what it is, how it was that Abraham was tested in relation to Isaac. Chapter 22 of Genesis uh, says this, and uh, I'm going to read through the passage and uh, probably uh, just pop out and say a few things about it as we go along. Chapter 22 of Genesis says this, And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here am, I, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. <laughs> the instructions to Abraham just get harder and harder, right? Not only in this situation, not only is Abraham given a, a, an an instruction that he needs to go somewhere without knowing where it is. He's done that before. So he knows, okay, I know when God calls me to go somewhere and I don't know where it is that I, you know, he's going to eventually tell me exactly where to go, right? His initial call to follow the Lord was, hey, go to the land that I'll show you. Just leave your family, your friends, all your possessions and go somewhere, maybe this general direction. You know, he didn't know. And here again, he's, he's asked the same thing. God comes to him and says, hey, uh, Abraham, take your son, go and offer him as a burnt offering. On one of those mountains, I'll show you which one when you get here. So I loved when we were singing that last song, you know, that's step by step, I'll lead you, right? I'll follow you all the days of my life, step by step. It's exactly a representation of Abraham's faith. One step at a time. Was he trying to figure out the 10-year plan with Isaac? He probably wanted to, but he always came back to the Lord coming to him and saying, take one step, I'll show you the mountain when you get there. Take one step, I'll show you the land that I'm going to give you when, I, when you get there. He didn't give him the whole, uh, the whole view. He says, trust me. So if you were given a command to take your only son and offer him as a sacrifice on a mountain that you don't know where it is, <laughs> would you do this? So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. <laughs> I mean, right now I'm thinking, Abraham, you're crazy. Abraham is over 100 years old. And as we've seen in the past couple of weeks of looking at his story, he has learned to trust God no matter what God asks of you to do. So he takes Isaac. He cuts wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So he looks up and he says, there it is. You know, he just got there and it was clear to him where he ought to go. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, uh, took in his hand the fire and the knife and so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, 
God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, both of them together. Can you imagine the thoughts that are going through Abraham's head right now? (laughs) I mean, he's thinking, like, Lord, okay, my son just asked me what the offering's going to be. Do I tell my son right now that I'm about to sacrifice him on a block of wood that he is carrying up a hill? No. Do I really want to do this right now? Is there another way? Is there another way to to follow God's instruction and not see my son die at my own hands? Is there another way? Those thoughts have to be raging through his mind. And yet, wisdom of a life of faith comes to him and he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Thinking, please, thank you for pausing this moment. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided." This is an amazing passage. It's, it's really unlike any other in the Bible. There is no other place where uh, a, a person of faith is called to go sacrifice their son. And truth is, this whole passage raises a lot of questions for us, like, why is God asking Abraham to go sacrifice his son? <laughs> and, and didn't Abraham have another son? Is, isn't this not his only son? Isn't his first son Ishmael? There's a lot of questions here. Why, why would the Lord command Abraham to go and do this? And um, I would say there's a few reasons that I've, I've uh, seen as I've been studying this this week. And the first is this, the Lord commanded it. <laughs> it's, it it's not necessarily a fulfilling answer, really. But the Lord commanded Abraham to do this. Abraham trusted him. Abraham knew that the the Lord was faithful to everything that he had said to Abraham all through his life. I mean, you have to think about how Abraham, I mean, as you're reading this, you're like, how could Abraham take this instruction and trust God with this? Like, I'm going to take my son up a hill and kill him. Like, God, are you serious right now? But Abraham knows because he's seen it happen. He has seen the Lord provide this child when this child should not even exist. I mean, Abraham and Sarah were 199 when Isaac is conceived and born. Okay, his very existence is miraculous. It's beyond impossible for this to occur. And so Abraham is seeing, okay, Lord, like, like you brought him in here. I mean, I guess you've got a plan. 
I guess you've got something here. And so he said, well, if the Lord said it, then I'm going to do it. He had come to that point in his life and in his faith that whatever the Lord said, if the Lord's speaking clearly to you something that you're supposed to do, don't ask questions because he's got it taken control of, right? Last week, we looked at that as we, as we examined Sarah giving birth to Isaac. Uh, there is nothing impossible for God. Uh, Sarah thought that, well, maybe God is going to use a cultural means to fulfill this promise to me that I would have a son. And so she sought for Abraham, a concubine, to bear his son, Ishmael. And God said, no, that's not how you're supposed to do it. You think it's impossible for this to occur, but impossible doesn't exist when I promise you something that is to be done. Abraham had learned that lesson. So when God comes to him and says, take your son Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering, Abraham's at the point in his life where he's like, okay, like, I trust you, God. Like, I don't understand it, and I might not understand it if it, if it happens, and maybe it won't happen. And I'm sure at that moment when the angel comes in and says, Abraham, Abraham, he's like, thank the Lord. Could you imagine the relief that Abraham is feeling when an angel comes and says, Abraham, you don't have to kill him. The Lord commanded it. I think part of the reason why the Lord commanded it um, was to increase Abraham's faith in God's promises. The first reason is that God told him to do it. And he's, he's learned that when God tells you to do something, you listen to him and you follow. The second reason is that uh, God desired to build Abraham's faith. Abraham, uh, even after Isaac is born, and, or, or, or even just before Isaac is born, and when he's given the promise that Isaac will in fact be born, and he has a son, Ishmael, at this time, he says, Lord, can't you fulfill you know, your promise through Ishmael? God says, no, there will be another, and it will be born to your wife, Sarah. His name shall be Isaac. See, Abraham, instead of uh, listening to what God had told him, listened to the advice of his wife, Sarah, in this case, and, and took the slave, Hagar, and committed this act and brought forth Ishmael. He didn't trust God either. Neither of them trusted God with the promise. Abraham didn't trust God with that promise when he was older in age. And who can blame him? I mean, he's, he's 75 at that point or in his late 70s at that point, and you don't have a child, and you're wondering how this is going to happen. And like we looked at last week, like you know, this is a cultural means. Many other cultures at the time were using concubines in times of infertility. And so to us, it's very foreign, but to them, it's like, oh, this is just an option. This is like a fertility treatment, you know? really is. Like it's, it's that um, that cultural to them. And so for Abraham, it's like, well, you know, I guess maybe this is it. And pl places his trust in what God says aside. So I think this moment is again for, for Abraham to have his trust and his faith in God built up again. It's an opportunity to show the Lord that he still trusts the Lord, that his Full confidence is in the Lord's ability to provide a seed. You know, the promise that was given to the seed of, of not just Abraham, but uh, the seed of Noah and the seed of Adam was that one would come of the line of Eve who would destroy the evil one, right? 
And Abraham in this, this moment has to decide, it, does it mean now that, that somehow by the killing of my son Isaac, the promise that my seed will bless the nations will be fulfilled? Uh, he has to believe that that's the promise that is going to be fulfilled in this act. Our passage in Hebrews gives us an explicit interpretation of what Abraham understood about this, uh, this action. Hebrews 11, uh, back to verse uh, 17 and 18 again. By faith, when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, this promises that the seed of Abraham would bless the nations, that this is the seed of Noah, the seed of Adam, that would conquer the evil one, and restore the order that God had set in motion. This seed, this promise, will be fulfilled through his seed. As he was uh, offering up Isaac, and in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. You see, not only was, uh, was Abraham given this promise that through his seed the nations will be blessed, but it was explicit that through Isaac his descendants will be named. So here God is saying, sacrifice your son Isaac, through whom your descendants are to be named. He's having to think either this is spiritual, uh, a spiritual promise, or, and Hebrews reveals it to us, or he believes in the resurrection. He believes that Isaac will be raised, which is exactly how Hebrews puts it. He considered that God was, ev- was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham's belief about Isaac being uh, killed at this moment was that somehow the Lord is going to, you know, continue my seed through Isaac. That's the promise he gave me. And somehow he's also telling me to sacrifice my son Isaac right now. How do you hold those two things in your hands? You can't. They, They logically conflict with our human understanding of life. But here Abraham goes forth and says, all right, Lord, I believe that you've promised that the seed will be through Isaac, and I believe that you've told me to go and sacrifice my son. You're going to have to work it out. (laughs) And he trusts the father. This was an opportunity for Abraham to walk by faith, to be assured of things that are hoped for, certain of things that are clearly not seen at this moment. I mean, if anything is so clear, so unseen, this is the moment, right? You're telling me to kill him, and you're telling me it's through him. It's not possible. <laughs> but he's certain that God is faithful. So he goes forth and takes, takes Isaac up the hill. At the very last moment, the angel saves him. So uh, the Lord commanded it. And this, this, this testing increased Abraham's faith. And finally, what we're going to see in the rest of our time is this, that it's prophetic. It's a prophetic act of the true fulfillment that will come. You see, Abraham calls this place, the Lord will provide. Even at this moment, he's saying, okay, the Lord has told me to take take Isaac up to this hill and to sacrifice him, and I'm going to do that. And in the moment when Isaac says, hey, 
oh, yeah, dad, like, I know you've lived a while. Maybe you're, you know, losing it a little bit. Like, maybe you forgot some things, but like, we need a lamb. Like, you know where we're going to get that. <laughs> Abram's like, it's all good. The Lord will provide. No big deal. Back in chapter 22 again, um, this chapter is uh, full of connections uh, to Jesus, uh, to, to the real provision uh, that will come in the future. I'm going to point out a few here. First, the, the, uh, the command to Abraham, right, is... Go to a place I will show you. The place happens to be Moriah, and he gives them a sort of area where that is, and he says, it's going to be around this area. So you know, Moriah happens to be Jerusalem. Happens to be the region of Jerusalem. Upon Upon a mountain there. It's very possible that this is like near the Temple Mount type of an area. We don't know explicitly, but we know this is Jerusalem. The wood, you might have recognized, is carried by Isaac up the hill. You know who carried his cross up Calvary? Jesus. This is one of two or three times in the entire Bible that God provides the sacrifice. When Adam and Eve sin, God restores them and and puts uh, clothes of animals on them in some way. That might be, we're debated, but that might be a sacrifice that God had provided for them for the restoration of them to their um, uh, lordship over, uh, stewardship over the earth. The second time that God provides a sacrifice is here where Isaac and Abraham are up on the top of the hill and Abraham is about to take a knife to his son and an angel says, stop. And Abraham looks up and sees a ram caught in a thicket. Um, Many times when you see wood in the Bible, it's a sign of judgment. So like uh, the story of Absalom, when Absalom is riding during the war, he gets He's on a horse and his head gets stuck between two branches and judgment is brought upon him cleanly. And a number of times when wood is an example of, of a judgment, uh, judgment symbol, and in this case, the ram is caught in a thicket right there for Abraham to use for the sacrifice. And, and finally, obviously, the, the last time God provides a sacrifice is when Jesus is provided on the hill for us. This passage is uh, Genesis and Hebrews 11, both are, are so powerful from just a literary standpoint of focusing on these events and showing their significance. Uh, I don't know if you noticed much, but when we read through Genesis 22, uh, 
the action in Genesis is sort of moving along pretty quickly. And then all of a sudden with this time of sacrificing Isaac, things just kind of slow down. It's like one little action at a time is shown until the, the angel shows up and says, Abraham, stop. And it's a beautiful scene. And here in, in Hebrews 2, we see that Abraham is at, is at the very center of the hall of faith. In the middle of the hall of faith, we've got this statement in verses 13 to 16 that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, and I would say act thus as well, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham is at uh, the front of that and the back of that. And this picture of sacrifice is a picture of exactly what God has done for us. See, there's one time we need a substitute. There's one time the substitute's going to be better than the real thing, than the, the ideal thing, quote. And that's when the substitute is better than the thing. In this case, we, we are broken. And, you know, we, we ask these questions about Isaac. Well, is he, was he a perfect sacrifice or what does that even mean? Like, what, you know, and I went through those questions. I was looking like, why would God ask him to sacrifice Isaac? And the fact is, I don't have to know the answer to that. <laughs> a lot of times we like to look at the Bible and ask like, what if questions? Like, well, what if he would have got him before the angel came, you know? Um, he didn't. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God he didn't. Uh, the Lord is testing Abraham that his faith might grow and then when I see how far God himself would go for us. See, at this moment, Isaac is about to die because of the instruction of the Lord to Abraham. And the Lord says, stop. Now you know how severe it is, how, how costly it's going to be for the seed that is promised to conquer the evil. Okay, Abraham has the best experience of anybody to see what it was going to cost the father to turn his head from the son. Abraham goes right to the brink of it. And in that moment, God sees not only his faithfulness to trust, but Abraham realizes the cost experientially to the father that will come on our behalf. We know that even Jesus, while he's uh, in torment in the garden, is asking the Father, Lord, if there is, Father, is there another way? Let this cup pass for me, but not my will, your will be done. In that case, the knife wasn't stopped by an angel. It was taken. 
and the son was torn for us. See, the place where Isaac is brought to be sacrificed is the place called the Lord will provide. So there are two things that I'd like for us to take from this um, as we go, and, and these are the two things. First, our faith will be tested. We, uh, we shouldn't be unaware of that fact. Life will present tests to our faith. It will, time and time again. And, and as uh, we step back from sort of talking about uh, the idea of faith and the, and the concepts of faith, we see again our context of Hebrews, and life is testing these individuals beyond belief, right? We, and I've said it, I've beat it, uh, beat it to death, I think, you know, like life is testing these individuals. They are being taken away to persecution. Their friends are be taking, uh, being, uh, being uh, you know, abused for their belief and trust in Jesus, Their faith is being tested uh, beyond no other because they have said Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And so as the writer of Hebrews is coming through, he's saying, this is what faith is, my friends. The circumstances around you do not feel very good. They feel terrible, in fact. But let me assure you that the promises are greater the promises are eternal, while our circumstances are temporary. Our faith will be tested. It will be tested with natural um, life happenings, right? It'll be tested uh, by our coworkers. It'll be tested by our world's perception of, of who Christians are and, and who Christ followers are. It will be tested. We pray for a country every Sunday uh, because we know that people are being tested in their faith. And what they need from us right now isn't money. <laughs> and it's not necessarily even our presence. It's our prayers for them that they would be as bold as Abraham to stand up against the test and say, the eternal promises are greater than my temporary circumstance. Our faith will be tested. And finally, our God will provide. He is faithful to provide. Every single time. Every single time. And I'll, I'll be blunt with that right now, even about this sermon. This is one of those weeks where I didn't get the kind of preparation that I thought I would get. And all this week, I've struggled with like, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? Well, how do you want to use this passage? Okay? My notes are like half as detailed as they, as they ever have been. I've, this happened to me maybe one or two times in my time preaching where God hadn't given me much to go on. <laughs> I had to say, okay, Lord, like, 
I'm going to go to sleep right now and wake up and maybe do a little bit more, but like, this is you. Like, I don't know what you're going to pull from this. God is faithful to provide. He's been faithful to provide. Uh, I mean, you look around. I mean, he's been faithful to provide. And I'm so grateful that our God is that kind of a God, that the promises he makes are promises he will fulfill. He is faithful. Let's pray. God, we thank you. that we don't have to understand (laughs) what you're going to do or how you're going to do it. We thank you that we can trust you one step at a time. We thank you that we can lay down our anxieties when we look toward the future and and try and plan out this and that and figure out this or that and how things are going to land and what's going to happen exactly and how we'll handle this. Lord, we're thankful that you have given us today a day in which we can rejoice in who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished for us, God, how you already have provided. We thank you, God. Lord, I pray uh, this week that we'd yield to you. God, that in spite of whatever pressures we're each facing this week, that, uh, that we'd ask you what you'd want us to do. Ask you for wisdom in every decision that we have to make. And uh, God, I, I repent myself for not asking you enough. God, you're faithful. God may our God may we have a clear assurance for that which is hoped for. May we be certain of that which is not seen. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.